responsible design is all about not ignoring the next it's all about understanding that there are negative implications of design also and how do we ensure that there, there are no negative implications Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning into Notes of Design to help support our mission spread knowledge. We have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Ekta Rohara Jafri, a design leader with over 20 plus years of experience in design and UX. At present, she is design director at IBM IX. She has worked in many areas from short form text and web to 3D reality across various industries ranging from medicine, finance, agriculture, energy and lifestyle. She has also been a keynote speaker at various occasions and events. In this episode Ekta has shared great insights on responsible design and we had discussed on what exactly is responsible design and what role does ethics play in design. We then spoke about what are the various ways in which we could recognize the consumer voices and implement them into the product strategy and what are the key parameters that make a design sustainable. Ekta also explained us with few practical examples of sustainable design. In the later part we discussed on what exactly are dark patterns and how designers could avoid using dark patterns while designing the experiences. We then concluded the show by ekta recommending us few tips to balance ethics and business goals hope you guys enjoy this episode and on every friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone Hi Ekta, welcome to Notes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to meet with other designers. So Ekta, how's your day going? It's going well. We've had fun in the day, uh, you know, early in, in the morning. We have a festival called I Exponential and uh, we start the day with that. So meeting other designers is always fun, especially in this virtual world where you don't really get to connect quite a bit. So yeah, it's always fun. Thank you, Ekta. So if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Okay. I have about 22 years of experience in design. Um, I started as a copywriter in an advertising agency. And this was before the advent of digital. So digital hadn't come about at that point in time. When the internet came about, and that was around 2009, late 90s, early 2000s, when the internet and, and internet products started getting made and released, and that's when I joined the internet. I joined uh, Times Internet. My first product in the market was in 2000, 1999 actually. Um, it was called uh, India Times Dating. Uh, Dhagdhag.com was the name of the website. And, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a journey. Since then, I've uh, launched about six products in the market, which uh, overall, if you look at it, they've been deployed hundreds of times and they've been monetized and, you know, they've brought in millions of dollars, etc. So um, that's been my journey so far of doing and understanding how to do it, learning from it. And, um, you know, taking those learnings to market. I really enjoy passing those learnings on. So a lot of times when I work with frameworks, when I work with different uh, um, ways to design, now, of course, the industry is really growing and we have new and novel ways to design, right? When I find success in a framework, I like to talk about it, you know? I talk about it. I tell people about it. I work with them. I'm an evangelist. I think each UX person, each designer has to be an evangelist in one way or the other 
there's always something new that you have to evangelize, right? So um, earlier it was the fact that user experience is important, that the user is is important to focus on. Uh, now it's, um, of course, it remains important. The user, of course, remains superbly important for any product, any company, any any business out there. But um, what's become even more important than designing for users is uh, is designing safely users so um this safety ethics sustainability has become a very very big part of design that's been one of the changes that i've seen thank you so much ekta so what are your tips to the beginners out there my biggest tip to the beginner is understanding what you're going to evangelize uh, like i said the field of design is growing really big right and it's up to us designers to really understand where is it that we want to make a mark so today a designer can make a mark in service design a designer can make a mark in design thinking a designer can make a mark in visual design and branding and really understand how visuals and colors really affect people and so on and so forth so you've got uh, various various nodes you could call them right nodes of design that you can actually catch on to and become experts in it and i think that's one of the biggest opportunities out there for us a tip for the new designer is understanding what you need to evangelize and then in a very structured way evangelize it if you evangelize something you've got also got to understand why you're evangelizing it why is it important and you know what effect and what outcome does it have etc so once you once you choose something that you want to evangelize and become an expert in it's a good idea to understand it completely to understand all aspects of it so that you can evangelize it properly so desi- designer today even more than being a good designer or being a good craftsman you know of course be, uh, craft is superbly important right craft is more important than anything else and craft is what really um qualifies you to be a designer right but at the end of the day being a designer is being an evangelist so i think i would ask the young designers to be evangelists to understand how they can be evangelists and also choose what they sh- what they want to evangelize that would be very cool thank you ekta so let's begin our episode with responsible design so what is responsible design and what role does ethics play in design well um let me tell you a story when we started with uh, with designing for the internet and designing for the web right we uh, we designed for engagement we designed for interaction we designed for conversion you know we designed for actions to be taken and behaviors to be changed right because we didn't understand that we could incite action on on digital uh, we didn't understand that we could change behavior using digital now we do understand it, and that's a very very critical thing that's changed we understand the effects of our actions on digital today and that is responsible design because you understand the effects the outcomes the far reaching implications and complications that are part, part of a certain design that you put out there it is essential for you to know whether it's affecting the user positively and also essential for you to understand and extrapolate into the future what is the outcome that your design is going to get both positive and negative we're we're of course very optimistic people as as designers right we focus on the on the positives we want to ignore the negatives it is it is part of our our engine our internal engine to ignore the negatives right but um, responsible design is all about not ignoring the negatives it's all about understanding that there are negative implications of design also and uh, and how do we take care of them? how do we ensure that there, there are no negative implications 
organizations. That's what responsible design is all about. Thank you, Ikta. So what are the various ways in which we can recognize the consumer voices and implement in our design strategy while building a product? All these voices of customers. See, there are there are various ways and frameworks out there, right? But the the biggest advantage that uh, that you can bring to the table is to have an authentic consumer voice. And what does that mean? A consumer voice that is echoed by a certain number of consumers, one. Uh, two, a consumer voice that is uh, that is active and talking. Any framework out there, be it design thinking, be it you know, futures foresight, be it service design, be it any other framework that you pick up, right? Um, all of it relies on research. So I think research is one of the core skills that we need to utilize in order to get the right consumer voices to the table, right? Consumers, there are literally millions of consumers out there. And you can also choose to pick up the most vocal ones. You can also choose to pick up the most uh, most active and most, you know, vocal, I would say, uh, very, very uh, outwardly vocal customers. Also, we need to understand that the customer voice can be a very, very silent, very whispered, very small voice as well, right? So it's not just the vocal ones that we need to get to the table. It's also the ones that are silent, that are not talking. And a lot of the consumers that are not talking are the ones that buy. So research is what really gives us, uh, I know there are many, many means, many, many voices out there. You can pick up consumer voices from, from social media. You can pick up consumer voices from from anywhere across the, the whole, uh, I would say the whole ecosystem of digital. They echo. Uh, the biggest thing is for you to find the consumer voice. That is the most important. So um, that's that's I, what I feel is the most important thing is to bring the right consumer voices to the table and use the right amount of research to do it. And uh, of course, then apply the right amount of thinking, analysis, you know, synthesis on top of that to understand what you can extract from it to take forward into a product. Thank you, Ikta. As you mentioned sustainability, so what are the key parameters that make a design sustainable or any few practical examples that you could point out to? Sure. Uh, sustainability is a safe design and a design can be safe when uh, a designer actually thinks about both aspects of the point, thinks about what are the positives that it can bring, what are the negatives that it can bring, um, and, and tries to solve the negatives at the right time, right? So uh, that being the process through which responsible design and sustainable design goes through. So safe is one of the biggest parameters. Now, ethical is, is one of the biggest, is, is of course, superbly important. And what is the difference between safety and ethics, right? You can be safe, which means you can protect a, a, a user from other users out there, from other um, entities out there, right? So let's say if you have, if you've implemented an anti-spam filter, it's going to it's going to prevent people from hearing other people out there because they have a voice either radically different to theirs or it could be something that is against their beliefs. So you want them to be a little bit, you know, removed from that. So you implement a spam filter, but a spam filter has also got to be ethical. Which means um, if somebody is really trying to get in touch with me and give me, give me a positive input into my life, I should be able to get to that. Ethics is, is, a, is a bunch of rules that you internalize. So safe is, is when you imagine your design having both positive and negative implications and you try and remove as many ne- negative implications as you can. Ethical is when you have a, a bunch of rules 
that you stick by. And you've got to make sure that those, those rules are where the rest of the parameters come in. So in your code of ethics is where inclusion comes in, right? Inclusion means that you have really included all types of users in your design, which means even users who have accessibility issues. And today, accessibility is really broad, isn't it? Accessibility is all about, uh, it, it may not be about a person being blind. It also may, may be about a person wearing glasses. It may not be about a person who is disabled by a, by a hand, but it could also be about a person who has a caste put in a hand, a temporary caste put in a hand, right? So there are many kinds of disabilities out there. So in, in order to make it inclusive and accessible, you've got to have a code of ethics that you stick by. And the code of ethics have got to include inclusive parameters, which means that you will not, um, that, that you will not have a gender bias that you will not have a race bias and you will not have, in, have in, uh, 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 other kinds of biases like community level biases or even, even disability level biases. You should not have those when you're, when you're uh, thinking over design. And where, where does that rule lie? That rule lies in a code of ethics. The other piece is that uh, you've got to understand that any, any code of ethics has got to be fair. So uh, fairness is a bit different from inclusion. Right? Inclusion means you consider everybody. Fairness means that you dole out in a similar manner to everybody. So um, fairness is, have got to be uh, has got to be included in your in your code of ethics as well. Like I said, uh, besides the measure of success, besides the measure of good outcomes, there is a lot more that is there in design. And uh, some of this, for example, the uh, the disinclusion of bias, ignorance of bias. It is, is very important to catch within us. And when, when we catch these biases within us, that's when we, when we can understand this is the bias that we bring to the table and this is the bias that we've got to remove. So a lot of it is also about biases. So a lot of it is also about really understanding what those biases are and wanting not to include them in your design process. So um, let's say, uh, you have a research going on and there's a certain community and in every country, in every culture, there is that community who is a bit more financially mature. So in, from an Indian context, you could say that it could be, you know, Banias or Marwaris who are financially mature or from a US context or a European context, you could say that it could be Jews that are a little bit more financially mature. But does that mean that you're going to include when you're studying financial maturity, does that in, mean that you're going to include most of uh, Jews or Banyas or Marwaris in your in your uh, um, in your exploration? If you do that, uh, you will immediately form a community bias. So you need to be a constant, be on a constant lookout for these biases that creep in, and they creep in unknowing. They creep in unknowing to you, you know. So sustainability is also being a, a, also being very bias aware. You know, what are the biases that I'm bringing to the table? Constantly relook at what you're doing and understand that there, are, there could be certain biases. And any, any bias that you bring to the table today with technology, with, with AI, with data and analytics, it's, it's bound to get extrapolated. It's bound to get a lot, you know, it's bound to get bigger than, than your intention. Everything is bound to get bigger than your intention, right? So you may want to get thousands of customers. You may eventually end up getting millions of customers because technology gives you that, that kind of scale, right? So um, if your intention is to do research in a very unbiased manner, then the input that you take into the product is very unbiased, right? 
So I feel that these three things are extremely important. You know, considering both neg- negative and positive implications, to being having a code of ethics, having one is superbly important. And then, of course, you know, having inclusivity, fairness, all built into the core code of ethics. And then comes the removal of biases. You know, the active removal of biases, not only from your own thinking and your own process, but also from other people's thinking and their process, right? So, for example, if we do a research on financial maturity, should we not include women? We should, right? Even though they may not be as financially mature, and the PTM's latest example has shown us that, right? Even though we as women may not be as financially mature because we have that kind of an upbringing that we think, okay, this is math. Let me not think about it. You know, this is, this is investment. Let me not let dad do it, you know, or let my husband do it or let my, my CA do it, you know. So um, those are the things that we, we also bring to the table, right? Because we've applied them on ourselves. And we've got to understand that we've got to remove those biases because the technology, the products that we create today are going to be used by people who should not be exposed to these biases, right? Who should form their worldview by themselves instead of being affected by our own bias. So those three things are what what make design sustainable. Thank you so much, Ekta, for explaining us in such great detail. So these days when we talk about ethics, we hear a lot about dark patterns in user experience design. If you could explain us what are these dark patterns and how designers could avoid falling or making for these dark patterns. Uh, Dark patterns are all about having your own success interfere with your own success. When I was uh, starting out in my career, every time I did something really great, you know, maybe wrote a line that was really great. I was a copywriter. Right? Maybe wrote a line that the client would absolutely love and he would print it. Right. The moment I would do that, I would get a frisson of excitement down my spine. And I would say, you know, this is it. This is this is what I'm here to do. So I would put it down on paper and I would take it to the client and the client would love it. And that's how it would, it would go. Right. Most designers get an inkling of the success that their design would bring when they're designing it. So when you design something, you're like, oh gosh, this will be so good for my audience, right? And that's the point where we've got to stop ourselves and say, this will be so good, but how bad will it be also, right? So for example, a dark pattern that um, that is made today is infinite scroll, right? Infinite scroll is definitely a dark pattern that was made. That has been made today. Infinite scroll has been used by many, many social networks out there. It's also used by, by e-commerce companies. It's also used by basically anybody who wants to keep the user engaged and on their app wants to use infinite scroll. Because at the end of the day, infinite the infinite scroll is infinitely successful. Uh, it keeps people engaged for a long time. It keeps people thinking that that, that there's something new below the fold when you do that, you know, when you scroll down and that rubber band comes up and it starts, you're really excited. You're waiting for something new to come. And usually it is not really something new. It's a continuation of what you've looked at. So um, that kind of, that's a dark pattern because it keeps us addicted. It keeps us on on the app constantly and we're constantly scrolling. And what happens with human beings is that their attention span goes down. You know, as they constantly engage with the product, their attention span goes down. So if you have a, an e-commerce product which has an infinite scroll in it, after two, two or three times going down the infinite scroll, you have lost interest. You are not going to buy from that, right? Because you haven't found what you what you want and you're not very likely to found it, find it, right? But what is that infinite scroll doing? 
it's keeping you on that website for much longer than you had planned and also not letting you you know complete the task that you're here for so that's a very dark pattern infinite scroll is a really dark pattern i i blame the infinite scroll for the reduction of of all of human uh, attention span because i i i have i've got children and i work with children and i see my son you know looking at uh, at products with infinite scroll and his attention is 80% on the scroll his attention is not on the piece of content he's consuming his attention is on, on is on what else is out there what else can i consume that's better than this so i feel that that wastes a lot of time it wastes a lot of energy wastes a lot of focused attention and when you you focus your attention and you don't get the result that is negative behavioral creation so if you don't get the result then you don't want to do it then you don't feel like doing it right if you don't get the result from it so um that's a dark pattern and how did it get implemented and and uh, and uh, you know taken across everywhere there was a point in time when i was creating a news application and the and the infinite scroll was launched my client was standing on top of my head and saying i want infinite scroll in my application no matter what happens you know no matter what design you give me it has to be infinitely scrollable and um, so we created it and we also realized that it's in of course increasing the amount of time a person is spending on uh, spending on a news app right he's also engaging with more things but we also realized that the number of times he's visiting the news app is growing and the amount of actual time that he's spending reading stuff is reducing the amount of time he's going through the infinite scroll is increasing so he is going through many 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 infinite scrolls but he's reading maybe two articles and he's he's going and then he comes back and then he does more infinite scroll does not read even sing, even a single article then he goes back and then comes back and and that pattern gets repeated again and again till the time he cannot even find one single news article that's interested for him because his attention is so defocused on all the other articles he may even missed he may may even have missed some of the articles that he would have read otherwise because you need that attention span you need that attention span to read to consume to to buy to understand right and if you're going to defocus that attention span on infinite scroll then you're really you know shooting yourself in the foot while you create in that design i would say that that vision of excitement that comes in a designer when he says oh god this is too cool this is going to work so well i would suggest you put that that design out there on the board and then you rethink it multiple number of times you know over a couple of days you would rethink it again and again and think about what are the implications what are the human cognitive implications and that brings me to another skill that we need right we know that that uh, ux is cognitive psychology a lot of user experience is cognitive psychology even when we study user experience in design we study cognitive psychology right but our understanding of cognitive psychology is got to be very deep and very detailed for us to avoid dark patterns and that's where uh, you know those two things that i would say are really important to avoid dark patterns and to recognize them one is the the frisson of success that that frisson of success is is very good is superb is mind blowing right and you will again get it when you create a very very light pattern when you create a wonderful pattern that works wonderfully in a sustainable way you will again get it but when you create it for the first time and you get that frisson of excitement i would want to put that product aside and come back to it tomorrow and think about it again because uh, you know that's where all these dark patterns do creep in thank you ekta so this technology is rapidly innovating and we have invented a lot of new interactions in this fast paced moving situation so how do we balance the business goals and ethics as a designer that's a <laughs> that's a very big conundrum that we face of course 
it is a very very big conundrum that we face and like i said evangelism is superbly important when i was starting out people didn't understand that user experience by itself is a science is important and the user is is superbly important right from everybody from developers to financial analysts to to management people were ignoring the users left right and center right they were looking at more of the knowledge of the aggregate rather than the in depth knowledge of human being so that's what we we've, uh, we've addressed over the past 20 years i would say that 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 perception doesn't exist anymore people have realized that being user centric makes more money so um that perception doesn't exist anymore but are people uh, sustainable today are people ethical in their designs today are people even ethical in their intentions you know do people have current biases that they create products with and that's our next bastion of evangelism that's the next thing we need to evangelize and believe you me it's an upstream struggle i've struggled i've swum against the current for 15 years before the industry actually realized that uh, the user is important you know and that we need to be user centric in our thinking so i would say that it's all our jobs that it is now we have a bigger um group of designers we have a larger uh, you know strength today and so therefore the strength of our evangelism has also got to be consistent across all designers right all designers have got to say ethics is important sustainability is important and a couple of things that are really coming in to help us evangelize those are are the impact on taxation are the impact on compliance the impact of sustainability on tax and compliance that's coming in is going to drive that from the background but we've got to drive it from the forefront and that's our job so that's where i think our next uh, big job comes in thank you ekta for sharing all these wonderful insights with us so could you please share with us how does your typical day look like or any interesting stories that you would point out to well my day is always very interesting my days i have got to say that you know uh, being a designer is one of the most delightful things that i could ever chosen to uh, to become when i was your age right i would have uh, I, i could have actually become anything i could have become uh, a techie because i was really good at technology i could have become a coder because my logical thinking is really good i could have become a writer because i write well you know i could have gone into the government because i'm a good diplomat you know so um i could have done so many things but i actually chose to become a designer and that's been my you know that's been one of the most delightful things that i could have ever ever done for myself and of course my day begins with delight at ibm ix we have a tradition of uh, of meeting every morning so as many of us who can come together come together for about an hour on a, on a festival called ix financial and um, you know we discuss things we discuss stuff like what have we read what have we found out um any new skills that are there in the market any new interesting things that have happened we quiz each other we you know share our knowledge a lot of things a lot of interesting things happen so i think that starts the day very well with a measure of you know always a smile it is always a smile that i end that call with and and it's really brightened up my virtual days so um that starts it right for me the other thing that that i really enjoy doing in my starting and giving it a running start i like giving it a running start i like starting things and and feeling that acceleration early in the morning right right so um okay i'm i may be on four projects start my morning after i exponential with really understanding those four or five projects and where we are and what we need to do and driving the teams to do that so that's that's again a very very powerful part of my job which i believe you know gives me a sense of productivity early in the morning to start things right to start things at a running start 
So that's interesting. The other piece that is interesting is being in the IPM ecosystem. You meet so many new people every day. Every day you meet new people. Sometimes I meet new people who have common interests to mine. So I have an interest in data policy and and how data policy is affecting people and how data policy is coming about in the in the whole ecosystem. So um, when I find somebody who's who's conversant in it, it of course gives me a lot of pleasure. When I find pro you know, projects or, or problems, you could say, which are difficult to solve, you know. So I, I when I was in, in ninth grade on my binder, on my, on my school binder, I had a big thing written. It said I have problems for breakfast. So I like solving problems, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, creating simplicity out of God or complexity. And when I get something that's really a complex problem to solve, it gives me a lot of pleasure to solve. So actually doing hands-on design at the same time as being a design leader, as being a mentor, has is, is one of the most delightful parts of my day. And um, uh, the next part of my day, which is, uh, of course, superbly important to me, is my gardening. I end my day with gardening. I end my day, like the evening, like the sunset time is when I garden. I have, a, um, I recycle a lot. So um, every day I have some new thing that I have to recycle. It can be a flush tank. It can be a it can be a glass. It can be a you know a, a pot. It can be a wash basin. But I like understanding what I can plant in them. So I really enjoy doing the gardening, and I really enjoy doing the recycling also. And that's how I end my day, and I and then I go for my exercise, and that's the, that's about it. Spend time with my son and my husband. The day is done. Thank you so much, Ekta. So we'll end this show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. Not having studied design, you know, hands-on. I hardly have any design authors that I really, you know, admire because I've seen design come up. I've seen the uh, the craft of design. I've seen the the science of design really come up in front of me and create itself, right? So um, I'm more of a person who's snacking from various people. I'm going and I'm taking one thing from one person, another thing from another person, another thing from another person and creating my own recipe because of course it's all nascent and everybody can create their own recipe. So I do that. And uh, um, the so my favorite book is, is mostly fiction or nonfiction. It is not about design. My favorite book in uh, in nonfiction is something that has been launched very recently. It's uh, Poor Economics. Right? So Poor Economics, uh, the Nobel laureate, uh, you know, couple uh, Esther and and uh, so both of them came up with that with that book, and I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. I could not put it down because the next bastion for us, the next challenge for us, is how to take digital to the grassroots. How do we make it more democratized? How do we make education more democratized? How do we make technology and the advantages that technology brings more democratized? How do we make information and capability more democratized, right? So um, we all work on it. Each and every one of us works on it. And to really understand how the grassroots, how people at the grassroots level understand things, how what their struggles are, what their, you know, what their prerogatives are, what their priorities are, is, is uh, I think that gave me a, a unique insight into humanity. And, and it also opened my eyes. It had many aha moments for me. Many, many aha moments. So um, that's been, that's my most favorite recent book. Then I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Like <laughs> huge, huge, huge Star Wars fan. So much so that my, my son literally is a Jedi in training. 
you know so <laughs> i have wooden uh, jedi swords that i fight with it so my second favorite book or books are star wars books and i i you can see me walking into any book bookseller and asking my first question to them is star wars hey do you have any star wars <laughs> you know so there are there are, i think there are more than 500 books out there and i own about 200 something of them already and i my constant you know endeavor is to keep looking for a star wars book and the reason why that is is because um i feel that star wars gives us insight into how human beings can perceive advancements in technology and can work uh, what does it look like 20 years from now what does it look like 30 years from now is something that uh, star wars star trek and all the other fantasy series really tell i was watching the other the other day i was watching a, a cartoon called the with my son and i was riveted i watched all of the episodes because it is all about the way sustainable technology can address ocean troubles that whole cartoon is all about that right so um i i i learn more from life than i learn from books so most of my books are about life So that's uh, Star Wars books are my second uh, level of books that I absolutely love. My third level book of books that I absolutely love are books about Indian mythology. Stuff like uh, you know you've got the Shiva trilogy and you've got you know those I I can get lost in them because storytelling from an ancient perspective and understanding and being able to uh, you know extract knowledge and understand and insights from those stories. um is is something which is which we need to be prepared to do because i don't think all of the knowledge of the world is something that we can create i think that's one of the biggest problems that humanity us as humanity takes uh, you know has created for ourselves because we feel that we have to reinvent and recreate knowledge and that's a more scientific way of doing it because we will do it in a scientific manner we will be testing 5000 people to do it we will be undertaking a clinical trial to do it right and and even if you look at poor economics they conducted a clinical trial with economic uh, you know uh, instruments any testing that you do within the market i would colloquially call it a clinical trial right so you do a clinical trial with 500 people in or 5000 people in 5 years cannot give you the perspective that something that using something for 5 centuries does and being used by millions and zillions of people and that the insights from that being carried through by storytelling can really give you so i think one of the biggest things us as designers and us as uh, as uh, storytellers have got to do is understanding the stories that have been told for millennia unpacking them and understanding where the insights are getting the insights out of there and applying those to our to our lives okay our lives have changed for sure but those insights are about human beings those insights are about how human beings interact with their own environment about the food we eat about the clothes we wear about the time that we spend about you know the culture and the traditions right so and what is the basis for those stories stories that are told what are the basis for those traditions and rituals for example a sustainable way to live your life is to fast right we all know that many clinical trials many studies have told us that a sustainable way to live your life and have a longer life is to fast and we have fasting in so many of our traditions don't we every single religion every single culture that i know of has fasting in their tradition now why did that happen that happened because of a reason and now we are finding out that fasting is great for you but for the past 20 years we have ignored fasting like you know that's that's an ancient decadent tradition that we don't follow anymore 
wow, little did we know that that tradition was really good for us. So I think ancient folklore and ancient traditions carry a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom. And now with technology, we should be able to address that knowledge. We should be able to extract that wisdom. And, and uh, that's, that's my third interest and my third book. Well, the one person who inspires me the most is Amitabh Bachchan. Amitabh Bachchan inspires me, of course, like, like you know, ever since I was yay big and to, to even today, you know, he inspires me because, um, not because of the person he is. I don't think any celebrity can be a, be a really great person, right? Not possible with that kind of uh, stardom and glamour and, and complexities in your life. You cannot be an ethical, straight person. But at the end of the day, he's achieved a lot. He's played out his life by his own design. And that's what I really admire in him. I would tell you the third uh, who I admire. And then I will tell you the second one. Yeah, Because the third, I wouldn't call it a person. I would call it people right? that I admire are young people who bring more perspectives to the table. I deal with young people every day. I deal with students, with freshers, with um, you know, my own brothers and sisters, my friends who are, who are young every day. And I really admire what they bring to the table in terms of their thought process, because their thought process is not rooted in ours. And that's what I like about it, because of there being no lack of inputs to their thought process, because of digital, They've been influenced by many, 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 many thought processes. So for me, each young person is an Adam and an Eve because they have invented themselves right? and they have created that thought process. And because human beings evolve in a certain way and they evolve in similar ways, if a young person has a thought process, there are many other young people out there who have a thought process. Like So I really admire young I really admire what they bring to the table in terms of that fresh perspective, in terms of that, you know, fresh thinking, in terms of that different, you know, process of thinking that we never had. Um, the process of thinking for you guys is also much shorter than us because uh, you have ac- much more access to to information, right? So uh, young people really do inspire me. Um, the the second person who really does inspire me is my bunch of mentors. I my first mentor was Mr. Hawkberg. I was my my diplomat's daughter, so I've studied across the world. And while I was studying in International School of Bangkok in Bangkok, my uh, one of my teachers was Mr. Hawkberg, and he was a he was a designer, he was an artist, he was also a technologist. He introduced me to stuff like if you need to evolve, whatever works works, and you need to find the thing that works best. I cannot tell you what it is. I cannot give you a framework in which you'll be able to find that thing. You gotta evolve that framework, or find that framework and find that thing, right? that thing that works. And he taught me that when I was 12, right? And that's been a big part of my success so far because uh, for me, my knowledge doesn't come from books. It doesn't come even from single people. It comes from, I would say that it's slumdog millionaire knowledge because it comes from all my interactions. It comes from, my knowledge about medicine comes from dealing with medicine and staying in hospitals for, for four or five years consistently. You know, I, my family has a lot of medical issues. So I've stayed in actually hospitals consistently for four or five years, day in and day out. So I know how a hospital works. And so therefore I can create hospital information systems. I, uh, I Like I said, I've studied legends and, and storytelling for a long time. So I understand how stories work. I Nobody's taught me how to make a story. right? Nobody's taught me. Nobody's taught me what good design is. 
but i've learned it on my own by experimenting it and releasing it in the in the market and understanding what are the parameters that are making it work right so uh, and because most of my knowledge has been gathered through interactions through to the world it is more about people it is more about uh, you know interactions it's more about experiences than books thank you so much ekta for sharing all these wonderful insights with us we are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes thanks for your time sure lovely meeting you